Welcome to Inside Track, brought to you by Chiltern Railways. I'm Emma Gascoigne, and like you, I travel by train a lot. And as I go about my business, I often wonder how it all works. So I went on the Chiltern network to find out some of the burning questions that other rail users have. In this series, we'll be discussing these questions with the people behind the scenes at Chiltern Railways and getting the inside track on a number of topics. Today, we're answering your questions about engineering and we're also getting the inside track on train cleaning. In the studio now, we're joined by the Customer Services Director, Alan Riley. Hiya. And the Interim Engineering Director, Phil Andrews. Hello, thanks for having me. So hello, welcome to Inside Track. Phil, what made you decide to work in the railway? So I started back in 1993 as a technical apprentice, so left school at 16 and went went to be an apprentice at the old Swindon Works, so a proper old BR workshop. From there I went into um, four years of apprentice and then I went into sort of to be a train maintenance technician, so I was uh, fully hands-on on train maintenance for four or five years post that. Decided far after that I wanted to move sort of more down a more technical route, so headed into uh, a technical office working on modifications and improvements to rolling stock. From there I just decided that rail was the career for me and I wanted to stay at it and then it's been a sort of a slow progression up to interim engineering director. So I've, I've been at Chilton for four years now. Current sort of current role is head of engineering commercial, so I look after Chilton Railways, train leases, heavy maintenance contracts and some of the third party suppliers. But now a real honour and a real privilege to step up to the interim engineering director until the full-time person can be enrolled early January. So little birdie tells me that you do gymnastics as well. Kind of. So uh, I don't necessarily do any sort of backflips or any sort of major sort of splits or anything. But um, yes, I go to the gym quite frequently and uh, yeah, once a week I do a gymnastics class which is all pull-ups and push-ups and handstands and uh, various things. Is there anything else that you do in your downtime? I've got uh, I've got quite a young family, so I've got three children, all getting older actually. So thirteen, nearly uh, ten and four. So a range of a range of family activities. Usually find myself at the weekend, sort of yeah, ferrying children either to ballet classes or music classes, or uh, or yeah, trying to drag a nearly teenage son out of his uh, Xbox. And Alan, you're you're back again for another episode, so we've not scared you away. Are you looking forward to this episode about engineering? I'm very excited about this. I think it's it's good to be with Phil. He probably gets more emails and calls from me than anybody else in the business so um no it's good we're face to face today well thank you both for joining us on inside track so we're going to take our first question now why do you believe that hybrid trains will be significantly environmentally better so it's something i'm really excited about and we've already mentioned on other episodes about this one so what are hybrid trains Traditionally, you'll either have a train which is powered through electricity, so you have an electric train, or powered through a diesel engine. So what we class as a hybrid train is a combination of those two technologies, really. Traditionally, if you had an electric train, you'd rely on track-based infrastructure, so whether that's overhead line or some third rail electricity supply to power the electric motors. What we have, obviously, we don't have any electrification infrastructure on our route, and I think it's unlikely that we will have in the next couple of years. So really, the advance of hybrid trains is a real opportunity for us to become more environmentally friendly, less emissions, less noise and less fuel consumption. So fundamentally what what will be happening is we'll be taking a train away for some modifications. We've agreed a trial with a number of partners. So what the trial will aim to do is to remove the existing traction package, to remove the diesel engine, 
it'll fit a much smaller, more fuel efficient and energy efficient engine in its place and, and they'll be fitted with a bank of batteries. So the advance in battery technology has really allowed this sort of train technology to, to have a real sort of step forward. What will happen is the train will effectively be able to run on both diesel power and electric power. There's opportunities as well for the batteries to be recharged through something called regenerative braking. So the energy that's gained by braking a train, that can get fed back into the batteries and charge those batteries up just to give you longer range. But fundamentally what we want the trial to do is to reduce the reliance on diesel engine power. So we're really hopeful that the technology will allow us to go into major stations on battery power, have the trains work around depots and, and infrastructure and station sites on battery power. So massively reducing noise, massively reducing emissions and also saving on fuel. And Alan, is it something that you're hearing that customers are excited about? Yes, I have a quarterly meeting with the residents of Marlebone. So this isn't just about our customers, this is about being a good neighbour. Um, and, and often their feedback really is around the emissions at Marlebone and how this extends into their local environments. And uh, when Phil's really been updating me on this, I think this is a really positive step. Yeah, I look forward to looking out for that. And I'm sure you'll have lots of people that will want to travel on it. I'm sure it'll be very popular. Excellent. We're going to take our next question now. And this is from a gentleman at Marleybone. I'd like to know why the air conditioning is sometimes really cold. Sometimes it's actually really nice. Right, so heating and aircon, whilst they are obviously both part of the same internal environment um, systems, let's say, they are, they, they are two separate things, so they work in very, very different ways, really. I'll start with the easy one in terms of heating. So we're very fortunate with a diesel train, is what comes with a diesel train is lots of hot water. So what so the train's heating is, is effectively hot water that circulates through the engine, is pumped up into the train interior, very similar to your car heating, really, so the, so the car engine heats some water. That water is circulated through effectively a radiator or a number of radiators in the train and there's some small electric fans which which blow air across the radiator uh, and blow hot air out into the vehicle so it's a very it's a very simple very effective mechanism of heating a train really the trouble we do have is obviously a train is quite large and there's, there's lots of space and there's lots of people let's say it can take some time early mornings to, for everything to get up to temperature so you, so you might find in the morning that some um, on a cold morning it can feel a little bit cool let's say uh, but that does get warmer once, once the train is in service so what we do in terms of areas of cold weather we do try and sort of prevent that as much as possible by um, having a there's a preheater which you can have running which effectively keeps the water up to temperature and also just to make sure that that, that uh, on yeah on cold mornings the train is started in advance so we can try and sort of yeah, take a lot of the chill out of the air does it take long to warm a train up it can do yes it can do depending on the exterior conditions what we find as well is, is on cold days Opening and closing of doors is, is a challenge because every time the door opens, you get a big rush of cold air coming in. So you, you have to sort of start from scratch a few times. But uh, it can take a while, but it, uh, it is a, a very sort of reliable, robust system. And during the hot weather, why is it sometimes that, that it can take a long time to cool a, a train as well? Is there anything that customers can do to make sure that they um, keep the train as cool as possible? So all of our trains have air conditioning um, or air cooling. The principle of the system is there are modules in the roof and they take in the air from the vehicle and they pass it through a process which again sort of runs it through some very simply runs it through a very cold radiator and then it pumps out cold air into the train. That, um, that again works very much a case on ambient temperature so the climate in the UK traditionally is kind of 
doesn't get too hot all the time, doesn't get massively cold all the time. So the system is designed to cope within a certain upper and lower temperature band. What we do find is in extreme heat conditions, it can go above that operating temperature. And two things really happen once that happens. So firstly, the system can go into what's called a degraded performance. So the air that it's taking in is so hot it's just not capable to cool it down in time to pump it out. So what that might feel like if you're standing near one of the vents, it might feel like warmer air is being pumped out at you, which seems crazy on a hot day to have warm air being pumped out. But that's just because the system is just not designed to cope with extreme temperature ranges. But in general, there are a number of things which, which can help aircon performance. Primarily, it's just trying to sort of limit the amount of air that you're cooling. So, so whilst a train has a lot of air in it, keeping doors shut, keeping windows closed means that that air can cool and then cool air is pushed into the saloon and then that cool air is, is then recirculated back through. It's a real sort of winning cycle if you like. So the air is cool and it's cooling all the time. So it's the same really as what you would do in your car or in your house that you wouldn't leave a window open if you had aircon on. Yes. Yes. So the, the principle is you just want to cool the air that you've got, really. Um, the introduction of new warm air just makes the system work a lot slower. And again, it's a challenge at, at certain stations because doors will open. A lot of hot people will come in and cool people will leave, let's say. So So you are constantly trying to sort of yeah, keep that temperature down. Um, so yeah, any 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 assistance that passengers can offer in terms of closing doors, keeping windows shut, just makes the system work more efficiently. It's really interesting and a really good description, I think, of how it works. I was at Marlebone on what was the hottest day of the year this year, uh, and the aircon seemed to struggle at that point. Uh, and why was that? Yes, it did. Um, the heating and aircon system effectively runs on thermostats, similar to your home central heating system, really. So those thermostats are preset by the depot. So it's probably worth noticing as well that the driver has no influence on whether the train can get hotter or cooler. Um, it's all automatic. What we do find is, is when the temperature gets above, let's say, normal extremes, so whilst the system can cope with hot weather, extremely hot weather or prolonged periods of hot weather can put the system under significant pressure. And what, what is a normal extreme? The system is designed to work effectively up to 30 degrees. So anything above 30 degrees you are pushing it into either it will have a degraded performance or if it gets significantly hotter than that or if the system is significantly overloaded, the system will automatically shut out. So the, the, the aircon system will effectively stop working. And it does that for two reasons, really. Firstly, the, the principle of air conditioning is all around the expansion and contraction of a gas. So if it gets too hot, then that gas expansion can cause high pressure, which can cause burst pipes, leaking seals, loss of refrigerant. If that happens, then effectively the train has to come out of service, go to a depot, have its air conditioning system replaced, really. Um, so we want to avoid that as much as possible. So the system can protect itself so it, it will trip out. It will wait until it's, it, it's a, at a temperature where it can control itself effectively and then it will restart again. And have we got any plans to address this? Yes, we do. I think the key thing is just to keep an eye on, if you like, ambient temperature. So there is a challenge that... The UK has a very variable temperature range. Even just recently, some days you go to work in a coat and you come home in a T-shirt. Mm -hmm. So it, has, it is trying to sort of work on a, quite a, a different variable. And if you sort of applied the same system to a train, let's say, in a hotter climate, then that thermostat range would be set at a different level. But we just need to make sure that, that where we set our temperature range is effectively average. So as long as the temperature, the ambient temperature, doesn't step too far above or below average 
then the system operates as it should do. It's when it goes outside of average. So we just need to make sure that the, the setting is, is at a reflective ambient temperature, really. So if we do see increase in, in sort of yeah, summer temperatures, there is an opportunity to increase that thermostat setting. We've got another question now from Marleybone, and it's another complicated question. How do trains work? There we go. What's oh, yeah, a question? Every day. question? How do they work? <laughs> How long have you got? I could talk for a week. Right. So if you start from a train, if you like the actual the actual train, our trains, let's say, because because lots of trains work in, in different ways. For, for for our trains, it works very similar to to your car. As I've mentioned earlier, so it's currently powered by a diesel engine, the same sort of diesel engine as you might find in a bus. That diesel engine provides uh, drive through a gearbox. That gearbox then passes drive through some final drives to the wheels. So very basically, you have an engine, a gearbox and some wheels. In the cab, you have um, a number of controls um, which the driver can operate. You have two main ones really, you have a direction selector which allows you to go forwards or backwards and you have something called a power brake controller which allows you to go more power, one direction and, and braking in another. So very similar to you pushing down on your brake pedal in your car. The harder you brake on that controller, the, the faster the train will brake. So obviously there's all sorts of other systems around suspension, so air suspension to keep the ride smooth, loads of safety systems to make sure that the train does what it's supposed to do at the time when it's supposed to do so. We mentioned heating and air conditioning systems, so all of these systems are effectively sort of powered by the diesel engine at the moment, until we can get our hybrid train up and running, but powered by the diesel engine. And yeah, all's all working together, really. And like your car, does a train have to go through things like MOT? It does. It does. Um, so we have, so not quite like an MOT, but I suppose similar to your sort of scheduled maintenance servicing activity. We operate both on a mileage and a time-based system. So again, going back very simply, so we have a, we have a diesel engine, so we have to fill the train up with diesel fuel. So every 1,200 miles it goes to a fueling point where we fill the tanks full of diesel, check various things, check the interior, check that the cab equipment still works, so headlights, horn, interior lights all work. So a, a, a basic sort of check every 1,200 miles. Every 5,000 miles we do a slightly more in-depth check. So we, we look underneath, we make sure that nothing's broken, nothing's adrift, no leaks, no issues in terms of yeah, fuel leaks or air leaks or, or anything like that. And we go upstairs, we make sure that the heating and the air conditioning systems are working, CCTV systems, all these type of things. And then every 90 days we do a much more in-depth maintenance check. Also, we, we have other sort of um, maintenance periodicities, we call them. So every, every 1.2 million miles... We'll, we'll do a, a bogey overhaul, so that's that's a major piece of work on the underframe of the train. Every half a million miles, we'll change the engine for an overhauled engine. So there's there's, there's various different things which we do, very equivalent to sort of a, a car service, from refueling to a significant heavy maintenance exam. Well, I've learned a lot from that, have you? Yeah. And, and, the, and the good thing is we do all of that at Aylesbury Depot. When we have a number of depots around the patch, so there's a depot in Wembley which uh, which services and maintains our Mark Three and One Seven Two fleet, and Aylesbury for our One Six Five and One Six Eight fleet. But um, Aylesbury do all of our what's classed as heavy maintenance. So we have some jacks at Aylesbury, so we physically lift the train up into the air and remove certain heavy components, and we do it all in house, which is which is really good for me and my team because. Uh, Anything that can go wrong with a train, effectively, we have the skills to fix it. Still to come on Inside Track, we're going to hear an answer to this burning question. What is the obsession with train spotting? 
But now we're going to listen to Dennis at Marleybone and find out all about train cleaning. I'm getting the lowdown on how Chiltern Railways keep their trains clean and I'm travelling to Marleybone Station to meet Dennis O'Sullivan who is the train presentation manager. So Dennis, what exactly is a train presentation manager? Well basically a train presentation manager will look after the interior and exterior of the trains just to ensure that the, the standard is, is met and, and continually improved. We have a series of cleans, we have anything from birth cleaning which is a standard clean of going through a train making sure that the interior of the train i.e. things like the windows, the tables, the upholstery and the floors are in good shape and acceptable to the travelling public. Um, a deep clean which will happen periodically will be a, a completely exaggerated version of that if you like. So what, what, you'll, what you'll get is somebody completely or a group of people cleansing a, a, a particular carriage or series of carriages over, over a series of hours making sure that everything is absolutely pristine. Then we come to the exterior where we have a carriage wash and the carriage wash will do basically what it says on the tin, it will clean the exterior of the train. But to bolster this we have people in certain locations that will use poles with brooms on the end, that's probably the best way to describe it, and quite, quite, uh, you know, quite sophisticated chemicals to physically clean the outside which gives it uh, that extra sparkle if you like, the sort of thing you do with your car and to ensure certain types of crud are removed. Is your car spotless? Uh, I've got to say um, I probably could do better <laughs> with my car. Uh, maybe I should, I should learn from, from uh, the, like the ethic of what we do uh, within Chilton. You've got all this litter from trains that you pick up every day. What do you do with it? Do you recycle it? Absolutely. Somebody will board a train once the train arrives at an end of day location and the very first thing they'll do is they'll walk through the train with a recycling bag and they'll look to segregate off anything that is or falls into the category of recyclable material so it may be plastics could be paper so only very very small percentages end up going into containers of what we call general waste much larger percentages are recycled and the desire will always be to recycle Worth saying that most of our, our trains now will have uh, appropriate bins that are actually labelled for the customer to, to use appropriately. We're in a station environment, there are, are many trains here as you can see. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of show you the workings of what they call a turnaround clean. And a turnaround clean is really where uh, cleaners will board a train that is going to turn around for a, a new service fairly rapidly. Where are we going now, Dennis? Well, we're just going to go up the platforms, Emma, and we'll, we'll see who's here. We'll find uh, a couple of people there just kind of waiting for the next train. What they do is they, they work on something called a simplifier, which is really a, a diagram of arrivals and departures. And they will, in terms of strategy, place themselves ready to meet trains uh, as opposed to react to them, which I think is all to the good. Yeah, because this is our platform. We have one, two, and three, and three, four, five, and six on this side. Mm. And we have certain people that clean, like maybe three, four persons on this side, so we go by this. Yeah. The other persons on the other side do one and two, so they have the same one and two. So that's why we circled five and six and what we are doing. Yeah. So you get assigned a certain number of platforms, yes. and then you'll work off the yeah. simplifier. Yeah, at the same amount of trains registered there as well, so we know where, what time is coming, what time is going. When you're on the toilet, 
What happens to that waste? Well, there's, Emma, there's uh, uh, tanks that kind of sit underneath the toilet cubicles. And what happens is, over, of, obviously, they'll, they'll continue to fill. But long before they're at anywhere near capacity, the train will, at the end of day, will go to a depot location, siding location and so forth. And there are facilities to actually empty those, those tanks environment. I imagine it must be really satisfying doing your job. What do you most enjoy about it? The, the main thing is to, is to see the customers happy. Um, well, I've, I've had occasion where I've been on, I was on a particular carriage and a lady approached me and she, said, she asked me if she was in first class and she was actually in a standard carriage. And it took me, it, you know, it, was, it, it gave me terrific pleasure to, uh, to be able to say, well, actually, madam, this is, uh, this is just standard class. And, uh, and I'd say that's the greatest amount of pleasure is when people see people see the trains in good shape which is how it should be there we go oh, there's obviously a lot of hard work that goes into keeping the trains clean looking at your faces there when I asked the question about the toilet yeah. so many people mm. wanted to yeah. know that when I've been out yeah. meeting people about where does that waste go was there anything that surprised you was the first time you heard that yeah I think Dennis and the team do an amazing job I think if you look at the interior of our trains I'm often filled with pride on how clean that they manage to get them. So I think it's uh, it really is one of our great principles um, that we live by, that we want every train to be really sparkling clean. All credit to Dennis and the team there. It's, um, it's a tough job and, and they all do it remarkably well with a big smile on their face. And that is really Dennis. He really does live and breathe that and he really does have a great pride in what he does. And the, whole, the concept about recycling and making sure that we, we recycle as much as waste as possible, that's really driven by the team as well. It makes their job harder, let's say, to, to make sure that waste is segregated, but they're all really keen to do so. So it's a... Yeah, no, great result from the team. So we're going to have another question now, and this one's from Aylesbury. Is there toilets on all the trains? So is there toilets on all the trains, Alan? There is. We have toilets on all of our trains, and we have toilets at our stations as well. We even won Toilet of the Year when you're at London Marlebone, so we're very pleased with that. And I think the, the biggest change we're about to see is we're about to refurbish the toilets at Marlebone. So you'll see over the next probably six months that there'll be significant alterations to the facilities there. So what do you do to make the toilet experience as good as it can be? I think across the industry, toilets on trains have got a very bad reputation. There's a lot of prejudging by customers uh, before they even use the toilet. There's going to be a bad experience. And from what I hear, people then just don't use the toilets expecting that experience. So we heard from Dennis earlier, and there's a lot of effort into making sure they are clean and they are tidy. We've tried to do work in terms of the interior and the look of them. So to make sure that it's a bright kind of feeling within there. And we often put some interesting facts within the toilets to give people something to read whilst they're using the facility. And we generally just focus on really the kind of hygiene factors of that, of keeping them clean, tidy and fresh looking. And hopefully we can remove that stigma that probably trained toilets have got over the years. And do you have vinyls of stately homes in your toilets? Is that we true? Do. We do. We have many different vinyls. So I'd suggest you need to go and try all our different vinyls and see if you can find them. But it's just about trying to kind of transport people and make it feel very different when you're using the toilet and just really enhance that experience while you're there. And Phil, how do you make the trains accessible? Yes, well, we're, we're really keen at Chilton to make sure that train travel is, is accessible for everybody. So on our trains, which predominantly go from Marylebone to Aylesbury, you may have seen that we've just recently completed a piece of work 
to remove the old star toilet and to fit uh, a universal access toilet. So that's a larger toilet cubicle with space for a wheelchair, baby change facilities, really just to, to replace the, the old toilet module with one that's much more in keeping with current modern standards. So it's um, they look really good. Sometimes the door will talk to you if you've locked it or you've not locked it. So uh, it uh, has a little chat. But yes, no, it's a really good opportunity to make sure that, that the toilets are accessible for everybody. And, and in the fleet department, we, we are really keen to make sure that those toilets are in service and operational, clean and working at all times. We've got another question from Marleybone now. How are trains built? How are trains built? Right, Phil, question. I think this one good is for question. you. Well, I suppose first of all, it's d- different to a car. So it's, I wish it was this easy, but I'm, I'm not able to go to a showroom and buy a new train. Unfortunately, the procurement of a train or buying a train is, is difficult and long and complicated. And it starts off really a two to three year process. First of all, you have to sort of consider, well, what, what train do I want to buy? So that depends on your operation, so how fast you want it to go, um, whether you've got electrification infrastructure, whether you need it to be diesel or hybrid, what sort of seats you want, layout, interior configuration. You have to effectively sort of write write a specification that says this is what you want your train to look like. There are a small amount of train manufacturers, so there are both um, UK-based and international-based companies which are able to build you a train. So you need to sort of select the best product from that small sort of supply chain that you can. So the next challenge really is is that trains are pretty expensive. So it's between sort of 1.2 and 1.5 million pounds per carriage. So if you sort of yeah, think that you might want 100, let's say that that's a significant investment. And also a train traditionally will last you between sort of 35 to 40 years. So if you are making that significant investment, you want to make sure that you maximise that, that life. So it's very difficult for train operating companies, let's say, to buy a new train. Firstly, it takes a long time to do so. Uh, and secondly, um, the significant investment you'd have to lay out for potentially a short seven-year, 10-year franchise, you don't get the value of that asset. So the mechanism to, to really procure a train is is through some level of leasing operation. So there are some rolling stock owning companies and some financiers who you can approach and you say, will you enter into an agreement with me to buy a train? I will commit to lease that train off you for X number of pounds per month for as long as my franchise is there. And then the expectation is that that train owner will then lease that train to a future operator if there's a case of a franchise change. That's, if you like, the the contractual mechanism of buying it. So once you've decided on what sort of train you want to buy and you've agreed on the finances and you've agreed contractually with your stakeholders, with the Department for Transport and all of the other interested parties about whether you're allowed, let's say, to, to make that procurement purchase, then the fun bit starts really from my point of view. Then it's a case of, well, let's go to a factory. There are certain dedicated factories around UK and Europe and, and sort of further afield. And what we're finding at the moment is that older trains were very much a case that it's very quite easy to understand. It's nuts and bolts, it's, it's mechanics, it's traditional engineering. New trains these days are very much sort of computer-based, so it's lots of software, lots of challenges around how you integrate various different train systems together and also how that, that train then 
interfaces with the track. There's certain testing which you have to do on a train around electromagnetic compatibility, which sounds really complicated and is really, but um, ultimately you have to make sure that the train operating on the track won't affect the signals or it won't affect other trains. So there's, there's a number of challenges which you have to go through once you've designed it, once you've built it. So we've reached our final question now, and this question's from Haddenham and Tame Parkway. What is the obsession with train spotting? So firstly, what is train spotting? Ultimately, it's around the collection of numbers. So each train has a class, and each class has its own sort of unique three-number identificator. So we've got, on the Chiltern fleet, we've got class 165 trains, 168 trains, 172s. So they all start with 165001 to 165039 and similar with the other classes. So I can completely understand that it's it's the collection of a list as much as anything. So if someone's seen all 38 of our class 165 trains, then that's, that's an achievement. It's really interesting that when I started my career probably 20 years ago, I probably asked the same question. That I saw people standing on platforms, taking numbers of trains down. And, and I didn't really get it. As my career has progressed, I now tend to go to stations in the UK and abroad, and I've become a little bit of a station spotter. So I'll walk around the station and take pictures or write notes down and, and be, oh, they've got that ticket machine, or, oh, they do that here. So I, I've started to do a little bit of this, and when I get on different trains, I'll notice very niche things. Oh, could we have that? So I suppose mine's a bit more in line with the work I do. But I kind of get it now, and I kind of see. I mean, I do see people are looking at trains in some very cold weather. And I think, well, you must be cold. But, you know, it is quite niche. So, you know, when you, when you see a train, it is, it is quite a feat of engineering. Um, and when you see the different stations that we've got and the, and the way it all comes together, um, I don't understand the numbers bit, and I never really have got that. So you'd have to get someone who, who knows a bit. But I, I'm okay with it. I think actually, I think it's quite interesting, and I think if and if people enjoy that, then I think uh, each to their own, and you know why not? No, I think it's great. I think the fact that there are people that would dedicate their pastimes to sort of uh, support an industry which I, I'm really passionate about. I think that's great. Absolutely. And similar to Alan, I mean, I drive my family mad because whenever I see a train on a TV programme or something, I, I, I tell I say what class it is, how fast it goes, whether it's on the right bit of track for the TV programme or the right age. Do you ever spot the continuity errors as yeah. well? If I see the wrong train coming out of the wrong station, yeah, I pick that up straight away. Well, I remember watching, I think it was The Bodyguard on BBC. Right. And the opening scene is on a train. Mm. And I remember going, well, well that train wouldn't be okay. there. And it says it's going there, but it can't be stopping there. And it was really <laughs> yeah. annoying for probably yeah. the first 15 yeah. minutes of it. And then they, were, they were kind of giving instructions on the train. I thought, well, that would never happen. The behaviours <laughs> of our customers would yes. never be like that. Yeah. It'd be more like this. Yeah. So, yeah. so you, you've got to be careful what you're watching because you can bore the life out of your family. So, so you're a joy to watch telly with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're, we're not allowed trains yeah. on TV anymore. <laughs> no. That's it for this episode. Tune in next time to get the inside track on what it's like to be a train manager and hear your questions about ticketing. Remember, you can let us know what you think about this programme by tweeting at Chiltern Railway or by leaving a review. Thank you.